Input. Output. Today on the Input Output Podcast, we've got two stories about Apple computing. Now, let's talk about some big changes coming to macOS. Our next release of macOS is macOS Big Sur. When Apple recently introduced its new macOS, Big Sur, you may have noticed something different about its icon and user interface design. The company has embraced what's called new morphism, an updated approach to skewmorphism in which interface objects mimic their real-world counterparts. InputMag.com's lead designer Jack Kalaskas recently wrote about this design trend. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. Criticisms aside, there is one undeniable feature to new morphism that makes it so appealing. It looks new. Flat Design's core digitally native look and its implementation of ideas like stacks, pages, and layers have become familiar to the point of ubiquity over the last eight plus years. Neomorphism is far enough away from what users have become accustomed to that it genuinely does feel like a new language. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thank you. Now, Jack is the lead designer for InputMag.com, and he designed Input Output's awesome show graphics. Jack, I understand that this is your first ever byline? It is, yeah. Never written anything before? Nothing that's been fit to be seen by any other person anyway. So what prompted you to write this piece? Neomorphism is something that I've been interested in for a like pretty long time now because I think that it's far enough away from what we've been seeing with UI and like design trends that it does seem like it's pretty fertile ground for development in terms of really exploring something that we haven't done yet. Before we get too far, can you define neomorphism for the listener so we can get an idea of what you're talking about? Neomorphism is actually a little bit hard to define because I don't think that it's really that well established itself, but it's kind of a, you know, when you think back to skeuomorphism from the 90s and on, you know, when you had this desire to replicate real physical objects and materials in UIs. A skeuomorph is an object or feature which imitates the design of a similar artifact made from another material. That is something that, you know, we all are familiar from the original iPhone user interface. We kind of moved away from that into flat design in, I think, 2013. And then neomorphism is kind of a return back to that three-dimensionally inspired, you know, a little bit more realism, a little bit more three-dimensional space. And how is Apple embracing neomorphism? It's kind of unclear exactly to what degree they will be embracing neomorphism, but in the suite of icons that they released in WWDC and even some of the minor, you know, smaller UI elements, you can see it in like the menu bars and stuff like that. But there's this sort of attention to like what almost seems to be these icons and these, you know, UI elements existing in a real like simulated 3D space. In your piece, you say that Apple's take on neomorphism is quote-unquote kind of bad. How so? (laughs) I think that owes to the new, pardon the the word there, the new nature of neomorphism in that I think that it's kind of just since it's not fully developed yet, it hasn't had a chance for all of the kinks of the design style to be worked out. And I don't just mean that in terms of like Apple's execution of it. I mean, neomorphism has only really been probably seriously looked at for two years at the very most. So I just don't think there has been enough of a chance to like 
flesh out what it means for different elements to exist in that design system. You know, I think that one of the things that I talked about in that piece is about the like photos app icon, for example, is a great example because it's kind of this pinwheel of colors and in flat design, it made sense because it was, you know, eight circles of colors that overlap and they like, you know, colors blend together. But then when you translate that into 3D space, they didn't seem quite sure as to whether that should be just a flat icon that has a drop shadow attached to it, or if that should, you know, actually kind of represent eight real spheres that, you know, all have light interactions in their own way. And so they kind of got stuck in the middle where there's drop shadows and outer glows added in a way that just kind of don't really resolve too flat or to the more 3D inspired, or at least like logically 3D inspired. And so I think that that's just kind of going to happen as people work through the kinks of new morphism. I'm not an Apple hater outright. <laughs> you know, I think that they uh, they will get there just as everybody will get there. It's just we don't really know what new morphism should be yet. And so we're all kind of finding our way. You can follow Jack on Twitter at Kolaskis. Now on to today's second story. Apple recently announced that it will spend the next two years transitioning its Macs from Intel to ARM processors. This news effectively spells the end of the Hackintosh, non-Apple hardware that has been built to run Mac OS. InputMag.com Guides editor Evan Rogers, a member of the Hackintosh community, recently wrote about this major change. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. It's important to understand why the Hackintosh community exists at all. For some, it's a fun computer project, and for others, it's simply a way to get into the Mac software ecosystem at the lowest possible price. But this justification has only weakened over time as sites like eBay and Amazon have institutionalized the market for used Macs. Instead, the cohort that has solidified over time are power users that need a Mac Pro that just doesn't exist. Welcome back to the show, Evan. Thanks. Great to be here. In the excerpt that you just read, you referenced the MacBook Pro that doesn't exist. What are you referring to exactly? Most people in the Hackintosh community are trying to create a Mac that's like between 800 and 1500 bucks. We're not talking about chump change, but we're not talking about the sort of price that Apple has always commanded for their professional desktop tower computers. And what I mean by that is most recently, Apple released a tower that starts at $6,000, which is so out of reach for even relatively successful programmers, YouTubers, video editors, that sort of thing. With a Hackintosh, you can put together you know, an off-the-shelf motherboard CPU, like a nice CPU. You can configure it with a lot more RAM, as I think a lot of people who are listening to this know Apple charges a huge... What people refer to as the Apple techs, you know, a huge markup on things like RAM and SSDs, storage, that sort of thing. So even though, for example, the Mac Pro starts at $6,000, you know, you can price it up to, I think, almost $50,000. It's wild. So the Hackintosh really exists in this place where professionals need power that a uh, iMac or a MacBook Pro just can't offer. And Hackintosh sits right inside that uh, little niche. So in layman's terms, can you explain why Apple's recent announcement about Silicon spells the end of the Hackintosh? Today is the day we're announcing that the Mac is transitioning to our own Apple Silicon. 
Absolutely. So what Apple announced was that uh, in the course of two years, or over the course of two years, they will be fully transitioning their line of Macs to ARM processors. And those are the type of processors that they currently use in the iPhone, in the iPad, and generally speaking, they're very efficient and cool, temperature-wise. So what that means for Apple is sort of a lot of different things. I mean, the reason that Apple did it is has a lot of reasons to do with Intel, but the benefits and the upside for Apple is that all of their computers and all of their you know products will essentially run on the same architecture, and that's gonna be great. What that means though, is that a switch away from x86, which is what you know Intel and AMD processors, that's their architecture. A switch away from that architecture means that you know, eventually Apple will stop releasing new versions of macOS for Intel Macs. And when that happens, then, you know, Hackintosh simply won't be possible because there won't be drivers for either the new operating systems or new hardware that comes out. You're part of the Hackintosh community. How are you and everyone else in the community taking the news? So when I was writing this post, I took a, you know, a brief browse through the, the bigger Hackintosh communities, notably Tony Mac x86, love that place. And then also r slash Hackintosh. And, you know, at first people seemed a little glum and a little down, but when people started to sort of like pick apart what Apple actually said in the keynote, yes, this is going to end, but considering how many Intel Macs are in circulation right now and the sort of like history of Apple's chip transitions, we don't know for sure how long exactly Apple will support Intel Macs, but, you know, it could be anything between like five and seven years. So what, if anything, can Apple do to make the Hackintosh community happy now? So there's there's a couple things to unpack here. In the piece, I make the argument that in this $800, $1,000, or you know, $1,500 space, the products that Apple can theoretically offer satisfy a lot of the need for the Hackintosh. So what I mean by that is, is that given all the improvements that ARM brings as an architecture and what we've seen from Apple in the past, we may not need Hackintosh because there's something that actually fills the need that is evidently open for something in that price segment that's powerful that you can compile code on and edit video on. But some discussion afterwards has speculated that you know maybe the iPad is the new Hackintosh. Because now that Mac OS is transitioning to ARM, in theory, I mean, obviously this is just theory, this is complete speculation, but people would probably be like to be able to switch between iPad OS and Mac OS on their iPad. Again, Apple has said nothing about that. You know, one of the use cases that Hackintosh occupies is for the people who are just looking to get into the Mac software ecosystem at the lowest possible price. And, you know, for example, that's for people that are like trying to learn logic, you know, the audio editing program. There are some people, especially young people, who just don't have access to a lot of money, but want to be able to use all the utility and benefit of Mac OS. What about the people who are in it just for the love of hacking? Hide the planet! Hide the planet! Shut up and get in the car! So to those people, I would say that, like, I mean, for example, I am one of those people. I love doing Hackintosh. I am perfectly productive on Windows, but Hackintosh is just such a fun little puzzle to put together. It's not terribly difficult, but it also does require a lot of attention. So it's a, it's a great computer project in that sense. 
people just have to find alternative projects. I mean, you know, you can run Linux and Windows now. There's a whole uh, subreddit dedicated to self-hosting software. That is a great place. I recommend everybody that loves doing Hackintosh go and check out r slash self-hosted on Reddit. There's a million projects that you can dive into that require similar sort of like, you know, connect up the pieces and then let it run sort of skill set. You can follow Evan on Twitter at Evan Rogers, and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening.